Amen, amen. All right, let's have some fun, kick things off just a little bit. Since it is Super Bowl Sunday, let's just get a feel for the crowd. Who, uh, who in here is rooting for the 49ers? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, all right, that's pretty good. What about the Chiefs? Yeah, there we go. And then the last one, y'all didn't even know there was a third one. Who's just here for Taylor Swift? Can I get that one? Yeah, yeah. Somebody said today they aren't throwing a Super Bowl party. They're throwing a Taylor Swift party. I just thought that was hilarious, hilarious. But hey, we're happy that you guys are here. It's a fun day uh, outside after service. We just encourage you to stick around. We got a family. They uh, made a little nacho bar for you to enjoy. And we just encourage you to stick around, fellowship with one another, and enjoy a good little meal. Now listen, we are coming to the close of our series today living intentionally, mastering the habits that matter most. And today the title of the message is, You Don't Win by Trying. You Don't Win by Trying. On November 2022, I'm sitting at Johnny's Pizza celebrating Asher's fifth birthday. And Corey and Kelsey G show up and they're there. And Corey looks at me and he says these words, I signed up. I said, what do you mean you signed up? What did you sign up for? So I signed up for the Muncie Half Ironman. I said, no, you didn't. He said, I did. I said, why? Why would you do that? So, I mean, you know, we've been talking about this. I just finally pulled the trigger. And literally, we're having this conversation of like, Corey, you understand. It's a 1.2-mile swim. We don't swim. We really don't swim. We barely float. You know what I mean? But we don't float. Like, we don't swim. And so, Corey, the longest we've ever biked is maybe 50 miles, 49 miles. But, and then, Corey, I can you even run a mile right now? I was like, I don't even think I can. You know, we get to have this conversation. I know, I know, but I did it. I've signed up. I'm in. This is a half Ironman. I looked at him and said, do you really think you can? He said, I mean, I think so. Maybe. And then I just began to think about, you know, it's kind of like a ride or die situation. It's like, you know, you're kind of bros all the way to the end. If like he does something really, really kind of dumb, it's like, well, I guess I got to do it too. And I just began to dream and think about, well, maybe I can. Maybe we can. I don't know. I don't know if we can. And we began to kind of paint this picture, or he began to paint this picture. Just imagine standing at the finish line, being an Iron Man. Which I don't even know if we can consider it an Iron Man. It's like a half Iron Man. You become half of an Iron Man. Just think about it. Think about what that could be, what that could look like. You began to put this image in my head, and I just began to dream and envision and imagine what this could look like. Maybe we could. Maybe we could. And here's what you kind of begin to think about. The race, it becomes then the greatest kind of thought, the greatest passion in your head, what kind of consumes your mind, consumes your conversations. I then talk to Kyle Keller, and I'm like, hey, Kyle, did you hear what Corey did? He signed up for a half Ironman. What do you think? Like, isn't that crazy? He's like, I mean, maybe, but maybe we could. And then lo and behold, what ends up happening is I sign up. Kyle signs up. And then once again, after we sign up, we begin to sit in this realization of like, we can barely swim. We really aren't in great shape, but we just had this thought of maybe we could. And in that moment, after you sign up, you make this huge shift to where you aren't just trying to become a half Ironman. You step into training to become a half Ironman. And today we really want to bring to life this picture as we close this series is that there 
is an immense difference between training to do something and trying to do something. There's a huge difference between training to do something and trying to do something. See, all of us in this room, we understand what trying looks like. What trying looks like. We try to go on a diet. We try to lose weight. We try to be a person that studies their Bible. Or we try to be somebody that has a a moment of prayer. Or, Or dads, we try to be more patient with our kids. We are experts at trying, but not very good at actually succeeding. That's the thing with trying. Trying oftentimes is set up to where there's minimal commitment required and there's always a way out. Always a way out. And so there's kind of this mindset that we have that for us, we have been trying for way, way too long. Maybe you've heard some of the messages over the past few weeks and you just set out to just start trying really, really hard. But yet maybe you found yourself just failing once again. And so when you look at your life, it may not feel like you're winning very much in how we began spiritually, relationally, physically, financially, that you may not be winning in the ways that you want. And so today we want to make the shift. We want to get to the point today where we're thinking about training, not trying. Dallas Willard, he puts it this way. We are not trying to be different people, but we are training to be different people. And so today the challenge is going to be to stop trying and stop training. Now this training metaphor is is somewhat of an athletic word to be in training for something. We find this all throughout the letters of Paul. He uses these athletic metaphors. And in 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, we get to see just a little picture of this where Paul is speaking to his protege, Timothy, and he says this. He says, have nothing to do with irrelevant, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself in such a way, exercise in such a way. For while bodily training is of some value, we get this, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for both the present life and the life to come. It transcends both the now and the future. And so it's this different here to be training, not just to do something that may be beneficial at the time, but training for all godliness. This godliness is this picture of this this piety, this devoutness, this, this reverence for all God is and who he is, that this is how Paul says for Timothy to train yourself in all godliness. It's worth training to devote this time, exercise, But then this thought also lies behind his advice to the church, Corinth, where we're going to spend our time today. If you have your Bibles, open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 through 27. We'll look at him making this similar connection. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, says Paul. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. See, the Corinthian audience is very similar in a lot of ways to where we sit. 
we are consumed as like today is Super Bowl Sunday. It's like a holiday. It's like a like something that we are all about or that our culture is all about. Well, to them, athletics would have been something they would have known and they would have recognized, especially in Corinth. See, Corinth is located in, in the city of Greece. Corinth is a city in Greece. I apologize. And every four years, Greece hosted the games that we are familiar with that have continued on called the Olympic Games. Have you heard of those? And so these Olympic Games were the greatest the greatest sporting event, greatest spectacle, and that was happening there. Well, what also was happening in Corinth is every two years there was a local competition, and forgive me for trying to pronounce this, Isthmian Games. Isthmian Games. Where every two years these competitors, these athletes would come together and they would have these races and these, uh, these chariot races, these boxing and wrestling, these incredible just feats of strength and accomplishment, and people would gather and would celebrate and watch. But if you were an athlete, it was an incredible honor, but also an incredible challenge to be a part of these games. You see, they didn't just try to be an athletic, uh, a, an Olympic athlete or an athlete in these local games. No, they trained. And they trained in such a way to where they had to devote 10 months of strict training, a strict diet, no nights out, no junk food. And then if you go back to 1 Timothy, the word exercise or train gives us even a bigger picture for how they did this. And even in 1 Corinthians 9 of how they did this, they, every athlete exercised self-control in all things. In all things where they exercise. And you know what this looked like, what this would have been? The actual translation from the Timothy one is that they would literally be in the nude. Imagine a bunch of men just running naked. That's a picture for you on a Sunday morning, right? And here was why. They said, we strip away all that may restrain us. Strip away all that may, may hold us down, that may, that may prohibit us from running to our full potential. All this. It's a very graphic picture, but it's this idea that all is being stripped away. Everything. This is how committed that they were in all things. In all things, they were devoted. In all things, they were committed. And so Scripture never tells us to try. It never tells us to try to be godly. It never tells us that. But what we learn actually from Paul, and what we learn by looking at these athletes, is this higher calling to train to really strip away all that may hold you back, to really devote yourself to the prize. Now, here's a really, really strong line that comes here. So these athletes, they chase after a perishable wreath. And it's literally what you would see. The athletes and the winners of these games, uh, some would just receive like a, uh, it's like celery leaves, just like a natural wreath or the Isthmian games. or Some said it was like a, a crown of pine. That was it, not like a crown of gold, but they would literally have this placed upon them. But what they were really seeking was fame, fortune, to be identified as a champion. But what was the secret? What is the secret that we find from these verses? And even I'm gonna give you one more. What is the secret behind their training? You see, did they desire, did they desire the things that may have held them down? The food, the late nights, did they desire those things even on the train? Absolutely. But did they act upon them? There's this question that they didn't. There's this point that they didn't. 
They didn't act on their desires. Why? Why didn't they? Because the prize was greater than what their desires were in that moment. And so here's this picture that we want to paint for you. Why didn't they? Because they want the prize more. All right? I want to step into your lives. What do you want most in your life? If you were to talk to these athletes that everything that they trained for and everything that they did for those 10 months, it was as if it was all void and all worthless in connection to the prize that could be attained. And so what they wanted most was to be crowned a champion. Everything else got pushed aside. And so here's what I want to ask you in your life. What's the most important thing? What's the most important thing? This will set the stage. What is the greatest passion of your life right here, right now in this moment? What is it that you are seeking most? What is it? Now, if we were to look into our culture, if we were to look into our life, we would find that there's some other things that really try to take us in. That maybe what are the passions of your life? Let's just make a few little connections here. Maybe it's literally your career and your success in it. That's everything to you. That's what you're chasing after, your future hopes and wants. If you're looking at your life right now, maybe it's not just the, few, the career success, having the titles, but maybe it's actually security. That at the end of your life, you have a nice 401k, you can retire, play golf all you want, sit on the beaches, provide for your family, but overall security, that you are in control of the things of your life that nothing bad may ever happen. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's a sense of security. Maybe it's wealth. Maybe that's what you seek most. Maybe that's what right now is consuming your mind, consuming your heart. Or maybe, maybe it's just pleasure. Pleasure in all things. That that's what is consuming your mind, consuming your heart. That's what you're chasing after. But it's just a simple question. What do you want most right now? What is it? What is consuming your life? You see, our struggle is with these alternatives that we will oftentimes do anything to find success in the areas of our life. And then here's how addiction begins to happen, is that when you begin to try to find success in these things, and you find that they actually just bring emptiness, then you turn to other things to fill the void. And so whatever it may be, what do you want most? Well, let me bring back the connection point to the very beginning. You see, I signed up to do the half Ironman, and I found myself... On September 30th, at the starting line of the Muncie Half Ironman with Corey G and Kyle Keller. And we step into the water. It was like 68 degrees. We had our wetsuits on, praise the Lord, so we didn't drown. And then we embark on this 1.2-mile swim into the water. I almost drowned this one guy because he keeps getting in my way, and I just keep, like, pushing him down. It was, like, get, get, it was crazy. And then we get out of the water, we hop on the bike, and we go for three hours riding a bike. Just think about how terrible that sounds. It was incredibly painful, but still like crazy fun in some weird ways. And then you hop off the bike, and you begin to run, and we ran, and it was like 85 degrees that day. It was one of the hottest days in September, and here we are just on pavement running 13 miles. It was terrible. Terrible. But... This is what happened at the very end, is that I found myself exactly where Corey G had painted the picture of where I would be. At the finish line of 
the Muncie Half Ironman spandex and all at the end. Thank you. No, it was not that. It's crazy. This is us. This is me at the very end. And if you notice, it was six hours, over six hours out there on that course. It was insane. It was insane. But it was like an awesome moment. One that was great. One that me and Corey were like, hey, we did it. Like, it was awesome. But here's what you end up finding. You know what you, have, you end up getting whenever you finish a half Ironman? A medal. That's really it. A medal, maybe a nice T-shirt. I had to pay for this photo. I didn't even get the photo for free. Can you believe that? I make you pay for the photo. And so you see at the very end of it, this is what's so crazy is that, yes, I can call myself not an Iron Man, but a half Iron Man. I don't even, sounds, it sounds terrible. But I can do that. I can, I can understand now in my life, like if, if difficult things come about or if we have to just do a little bit of suffering or there's some hardships, this has helped my mindset get to a place to where I can handle some of those situations. But at the end of the day, that really didn't change me. That really didn't add like a ton of value to my life. You see, because in the same way that we chased after this half Ironman, it was awesome to get to accomplish, but I woke up the next day, could barely walk, sore, tired, hungry, and then I continued my life in the same way. And so if you look at like all of the things that you may think is the most important or what you focus on the most, what you end up finding is at the very end, these words come to life. It's really perish. It's just perishes. It has no lasting value in the scope of all that is and that all that God has created. Not that it's wrong, evil, or bad, but it just doesn't last. It doesn't last beyond just the here and now. And so here's where I really wanted to connect with you today is that what you're chasing after, that there's something that your heart desires that there's something that has become the greatest passion of your life that you are putting as this crown that will last forever, that it will change you and transform you, but yet you find these words, it's just perishable. And so then you ask, ask the question, what goes beyond the scope of all that is? What goes beyond the scope of all that will be? Well, we still can look at Paul's letters and Paul's example. You see, the only way to dispose, dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. Paul's example, what was Paul's greatest passion in his life? What was it that he said that even for the Corinthians as the example, what was the greatest passion of his life? Let's go to verse 23. Verse 23. So we're kind of going to go backwards here. It says, I do it all. Let's just pause there. I do it all. I do all things. And we can see this leading up from chapter 8, chapter 9, all the things that he has withheld himself from, all the things that he has done, all the ways in which he has connected with people. It says in verse 22, I've become all things to all people by, that by all means I might save them. And it says, I had do it all. You see, Paul is one of the, the leading church movement leaders. Like we find today where we stand and really the gospels and, and the letters because of Paul. All we see and all we've been talking about has been so much because of what Paul has done. But throughout Paul's life, what did he experience? Well, he says he was shipwrecked, he was beat, he was broken, he was ridiculed, he was put to shame. It says he went with and he even went without. 
His whole life was like this roller coaster of ups and downs, good and bad moments. But he says, I count it all. I do it all. And then in connection here to those that he's trying to reach, I do everything that I do, all that I've been through, all that I do for one sole reason. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. The greatest passion of his life was the gospel. What does that mean? Well, we see the gospel proclaimed as the good news. Jesus in Mark, he kicks off these lines. And even in Matthew, he says, this is the good news that I bring to you. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God that restores all that has been broken, all that has been lost. It breaks those who have been found in bondage. It breaks the wages of sin and death. The kingdom comes and it is good, good news. And Paul has experienced this good news. He has experienced this life living for the kingdom. And this gospel that we're talking about, it really connects with me and you that even though we're deeply flawed and we'll always be deeply flawed, because of what Jesus did on your behalf on the cross, that if we believe and we put our faith and trust in him, then here's what we get. We get all that the kingdom has to offer. And at the foundation of the kingdom is the Father's love. Is the immeasurable, unmovable love of the Father that has been given to us. That there is nothing that separates us, that we are reconciled to him, that we are counted now righteous because of what Jesus has done. And here's what's beautiful is that the gospel proclaims that you and I are completely and totally delighted in by God because of what Jesus has done. And so the gospel comes forth. It's something that touches Paul's life and transforms his life. It's something that he now experiences and lives in, but it continues on. The, the gospel in 23, that I may share with them in its blessings. Here's what's a crazy transformation for us. That whenever we look at all that we've talked about over the past series, it's been so focused on who you want to become. How you want to change. How you want to be a better mother, father, parent, or just have a better relationships, be better stewards financially, whatever it may be. It's been so focused on us. But here's what his focus shifts to. So that I may share this word share, you can see it broken down, that I may be a co-participant, that I may partake with in the blessings of the gospel. And so there's this line that he has become completely and totally outward focused, completely and totally outward focused, that all that he is and all that he hopes to be completely for the sake of others. It's a huge shift. And then there's this word that we see in verse 27, that lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This leans into one of his greatest fears. We've heard this said and proclaimed that this disqualification is if you are making a point to where you are trying to earn your salvation, that you're stripping away all, that you are chasing after the race in order to win so that you may get the prize. And we call the prize heaven and eternity with God, or even some proclaim it as rewards in heaven. But I think whenever we look at the context of all that Corinthians speaks about, all that Paul says, I think what he's saying most importantly, is should not be disqualified, that he will partake in this joint fellowship with them. That he will not join it alone, 
that he is not living a disciplined life to earn salvation, but that he can have the blessings of the gospel and not enjoy them alone. Let me continue to elaborate. To have others in his life see the joy of Christ that he has found in his life and to remove anything that would make it possible for others to miss the beauty of God. I don't want anything, he's saying here, to disqualify me, to count me unapproved, to count me worthless, but rather be approved to be tried, to almost have this integrity of the way in which he lives that uplifts all that Christ is and all who, or all that he is about. And so this disqualification, he's thinking about his connection to others, that I'm doing all of this for the sake of, of others so that they may come to know who Jesus is and what he has done fully and completely. That I may not be disqualified, that I may not, that I may not cause a negative light to come through to who Christ is. And this is so powerful. He has become completely and totally outward focused. And so as I begin to think about our messages, and I begin to think about as we are stepping into this living intentional life, what is the point? What's the purpose behind all of it? Why, why do this? Why come to church? Why read your Bible? Why Sabbath? Why fast? Why, why do anything that may, that may connect you with God? Well, there's a couple of different lines that we've looked at and the people that we connect with. There's one that's uh, from Practicing the Way. They said that we, we, we are to spend time with Jesus and we become like Jesus and then we do what Jesus does, that to bring about the kingdom, that we are kingdom bearers. But then there's a more beautiful definition, I think, or, or a deeper connection. Why do we do these things? So that we may become people of love. That we would become people that are so deeply in love with the Father and that we would do everything in our power to love others. You go back to the first commandment or the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your soul, body, mind, and strength. And then what's the second one? To love your neighbor as yourself. So why do we do these things? And what is Paul saying his greatest passion to be a person of love? Now, here's what's crazy. Where does this come from? Why is this Paul's sole purpose? Why is this everything that he is hoping to embody or to be? Well, he hopes that in him people see the beauty of Christ and the love of the Father. That nobody would think of Christ differently. And where does this love come from? What is the example? Well, I want to turn you to Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 continues to kind of paint this picture that we've been talking about here. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses... And we can see these witnesses from the Old Testament. We see even those that have been just paving the way in the New Testament here today as we can look back at the whole, the whole Bible. Let us also lay aside every weight, everything that we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks, all the sin, all that may hold us down, which clings so closely, the fleshly desires that we have. It says, let us run. Let us lay aside those and let us run Naked, naked, naked. I'm just kidding. You're with me. Naked. It doesn't say naked, but imagine this. We run, nothing holding us back, with nothing pulling us down, with endurance, the race that is set 
before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me say, if you want to endure, and Paul knows it, if you want to endure, if you want to have self-control, if you want to be someone that is in training, then look to Jesus and what he has done. Jesus knew that he was going to die. He knew he was going to be betrayed, and he knew he was going to be forsaken. He knew that there was a race of which the Father had asked him to run. He knew there would be a wrestling. There would be temptations that would come against him. But he made light of the terror and shame on the cross. He took it, and he did it for you and for me. And where did this determination come from? Where did this this control come, this determination to walk out what the Father had asked him. Where did this come from? It says the joy that was set before him, the joy that was set before him, this unmeasurable joy, this cheerfulness, this gladness. Where did this come from? Well, Jesus had a great passion to fulfill the Father's will, to fulfill the Father's will. He endured the cross. He set his heart on some kind of beauty. And what was the beauty that he was thinking of? This is really powerful. What did Jesus already have? He had heaven. He had the Father. What what was the beauty that he set his eyes on? What became the passion of his life? You and me. You and me to bring forth the Father's will, to redeem all those that were broken and lost, to restore the kingdom of God all to back to what it was intended to be. And whenever he did all of it, he had you on his mind. He had me on his mind. You were the beauty of which he was thinking about. You were the one. You were the delight. You were the one that he was thinking of. And when you see him then enduring because you are his beauty, his beauty and delight, then you will be able to endure because he will be your beauty and your delight. When you experience the love of a father in that way, when you, the love of a savior in that way, what is the natural response? When you fully recognize who God is and what he has done for you, what is your response to that? It's love to be an embodiment of love, of all that has been given to you through grace and mercy. When you see him enduring because you are his beauty and his delight, you will be able to endure because he will be your beauty and his and delight. And so when we look at this, what is the greatest passion here that we see of Paul? What has he set his mind on? He's fixed his heart on him. He's fixed his eyes on Jesus and on the gospel and the good news. And everything that he does, everything that he has set his, his mind on and, and has, has set his body for is to be a part of this incredible calling on his life and to do it well. Not trying, but training. Not trying, but training. And so I paint that picture for you and for me as we kind of come to a close and we wrap up this whole series. Let me take you just over the past few weeks for where we've been and what we have done. We talked about just living intentionally, mastering the habits that matter most. We talked week one about you reap what you sow. You don't like what you're reaping, change what you're sowing. 
We talked to the second one about being the branch. Being the branch. You want to see the fruit come into your life. You want to see peace, patience, joy come into your life. You know what you have to do? Be the branch. Stay connected. Remain. Remain in Christ. Remain connected to him. And then we talked about that we make decisions and our decisions make us. And sometimes we're really good at making decisions, but then also sometimes we're really bad at making decisions. And so we talked a lot about how do we prepare for what the enemy throws at us. We move the line and we prepare for the enemy's attacks. And then we get to realize that we, can't, that we think that we can, but we can't. But we had this incredible truth last week, but God can but God can. And there's these four words we talked about to renew, to remain, and to acknowledge, and to ask. And so as we take the culmination of everything we've talked about, and we take the culmination of what we talked about today, that we fix our eyes on Him, and we stop trying, and we begin training. That we step into this life, that we step into all God has, and we go into training. And how do you begin training? Well, let me tell you. If you're going to compete a half Ironman, here's what you got to do. You got to buy the gear. That's like a really simple point. You got to buy the gear. You want to go into training in righteousness and godliness. There's some things you may need. Grab a Bible. Download the app. Begin to put the things in your life that will help you succeed. Get a group of people that love Jesus and surround yourself with them. Find someone that can hold you accountable in the areas that you're struggling. Get the gear. Prepare. But then here's where we all fell. We all can fail at different times in our life because of the second one. Not only do we get the gear, but here's the second one. Buy the gear, but here's what we got to do after that. You got to make a plan. You got to make a plan. Whenever we set out to do a half Iron Man, we did not simply try. We trained. And what was our guide? A plan. It wasn't that we, we made a decision on Thursday and said, well, I guess I need to bike today because I haven't biked in a while. No, we just looked at the plan and said, this is what we do on Thursday. We make the decision today of what we will do tomorrow and what we'll do the next day, and the next day. We are in training. There is a plan of which we follow. One of the simplest things that you could probably do in your life is just get on your Google calendar and mark out the morning hour and just say, time with God. Maybe that would be the simplest thing. Or maybe on the way to work, you say, this is my time, just in quiet with the Lord, and this is my time every single day. Nobody else can get in that block. Whatever it may be, we step into training. There is a plan that you have in place. Because trying won't work. But training, having the plan will. To have an accountability partner, you meet every single week on Thursday mornings gather some coffee or at nine o'clock at night and you just begin to share your struggles. You have a plan every single week. So I want to just shift your perspective here, okay? That we aren't trying to be godly, but we can actually train for godliness. That it's possible in your life to see transformation happen, to see relationships restored, to see brokenness go away, to see addictions fall. It's possible. But it's not by trying, it's by training. It's not by trying, it's by training. And so here's what I want to offer us today. 
you're going to hear a little bit of my own convictions, and, but also connect you to just an opportunity here. Whenever I think about all that this series has had to offer and think about where you're going to go over the next few weeks and what the plan may be for you and for your life so you can experience the godliness that God has in store for you, to experience the love of the Father and the love of others. There's this question that I begin to ask is, what is it that in our culture today may be keeping us from that the most? What is it that is hindering us from all that God has for us? What is it? Well, me and Andrew Robinson, about a few weeks ago, we just began to talk a lot about this word called focus and another word called distraction. And all throughout the series, you've heard just little rumblings, little moments as you looked about your schedule, you looked at your, your time on your devices, you look at all the ways in which your days and weeks flow, what you begin to find is that there's something subtle that's in your life that isn't necessarily evil, wrong, or bad, but I'm gonna proclaim that is being used in such a way that is keeping so many people from being with God and becoming like Him or being with Jesus and becoming like him. And it's right here in your pocket. How many of you have a phone that connects to the internet? Hey, yeah, you can raise your hand. It's like a, more than like, there's a few, right? And if you don't, you're like my six-year-old son, he wants one, right? You're gonna have that too, right? Your kids are like, that's the greatest want and hope to have a phone. And here's what you can look at all throughout your life is that you don't own your phone, but your phone owns you. 100%, you know it. This isn't just among the church, it's among the culture. The whole culture. Read a whole book called Stolen Focus, written secularly, and talks about just how, how it isn't the phone that you're running and operating, but the phone is continually running you. Imagine today, how many of you ever just like filled that buzz in your pocket and then you realize there was actually no buzz at all? You know what I mean? Or you just maybe, as we've been preaching today, you just opened up your phone and glanced to see if you got a message. You can go on and on, right? And so this isn't me being against technology. This isn't me saying that technology is the doom of all that we are. What I'm saying is I want to recognize today that in my life at least, and I'm going to take a guess that in your life as well, that one of the greatest distractions or one of the things that may be keeping you from the life God has for you is just simply a device in your pocket. One of the greatest subtleties in which the enemy is working right now throughout the whole culture and here's how I want to play this out. Imagine it's 8.30 at night. The kids are to bed. Or if you have no kids, it's 8.30 at night. Congratulations. That's an awesome place to be. Enjoy those times. What do you do? Say you're with your significant other in that time. What do you do? More than likely, you do one of two things. You either pull out your phone and you start scrolling. Or you're, <laughs> there could be a third one. You could be asleep by 8.30. There could be that. Or you turn on the TV. Anybody have the parent or live with a person that just turns on the TV because you're in the room? That's like my dad. That's probably what you do. And so a few weeks ago, or actually a few months ago, I began to hear a good friend begin to share what him and his wife do. So they actually talk. Every single night, they just take about 30, 40 minutes and they share about their day. You remember those days when you just talked to the person that you fell in love with? You remember that? And they do it every single night. And I just begin to wonder like, oh my gosh, what would that be like? I want you to think about it right now. All those are married. Think about what your life may be like, what your marriage may be like if you just reconnected. If instead of scrolling, you just talk about each other's day. You know what you may find? Connection. You know what you may find? Intimacy. Isn't that a crazy thing? 
then what would your marriage be like if you actually feel connected, intimate with one another? Take it to your kids. What imagine if we didn't sit around a dinner table and all connected to our devices, but we actually, how was your day? What was it like? Struggles, good, bad. Or you came home and you actually got to be off work and you still weren't on work because you're still connected to your device. What if you actually took times and just enjoy, rest and play with your kids, whatever it may be. Here's the point I'm trying to make is, you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. And you begin to wonder, is there a way out? Is there a way in which, is there a new way in which we can live? This was the question me and Andrew started to ask and this is where we wanted to take you today. As we think about what the enemy is trying to do, as we see in John 10.10, as we've heard many times you've been a part of Better Life, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And if you look in the, the devices, how's the enemy subtly using the device to steal? Well, he's stealing your time and your attention from all that God is, from all that your wife is, all that your children are. What's he doing? He's stealing your time and your attention away from all of the things that truly matter. He's destroying. How's he using the device to destroy? It came out in 2007, the first iPhone landed. And since 2007, you know what you've seen an increase of? All across the board, anxiety, depression, mental illness, suicide, self-worth, value, connections. And then what you've also seen, isolation. All of these things, you think that's a coincidence? Things just random? Once again, you know the answer already within your soul because you've experienced all of those things. Are there other factors? A hundred percent. I'm not saying that at all. But then you see destroy. When you begin to think about that picture of what my marriage could be, do I think that God or that the enemy wants my marriage to be strong? No. So what's the Saturday? Let's just keep them distracted. Let's just keep them not connected. Let's just keep them working in opposite directions. Let's keep them not being intimate. Continue on, continue on. And so once you do, it destroys, destroys the flourishing life, wrecking havoc on our personal relationships and spiritual lives. I believe it to be so true. And so what I wanted to do today as me and Andrew began to talk, it kind of began to share, but spread among a few more people. I say, you know what? What a great step for us as a church to just to begin to envision and to think, what could your life be like with God? What would your understanding of who God may be and become if maybe we just made some decisions to strip away all that may be holding us back, to have some discipline and self-control in our lives, when it comes to how we interact and engage with the content and devices of our world. And so what we are putting out there for you that me and my family are going to be doing, it's called a 40-day digital fast. A 40-day digital fast. Some of you just cringed. It's okay. My wife cringed as well. She's like, Aaron, I don't know about this. But I just want to invite you in here today to what me and my family and some other families in our church are going to be going into to just see and ask the question, what could it be like? What could our relationship with the Lord look like? What could our relationship with our wives look like? What could our relationship with our kids look like? What kind of peace and fulfillment could we experience by just making some decisions today that will impact our tomorrow? So here's what you're gonna find in the lobby. There is a book, it's called The Digital Fast. 
is completely and totally free to you today. Completely and totally. Here's all we ask. And if you've been thinking about this or if this resonates with you, put your name, phone number, and email because you're getting to be a part of a community that is going on this journey with you. Will it be challenging? Absolutely. But what's greater? What do you want most in your life? Think about that today. What do you want most? What may you strip away? What may you push aside to have what you want most today? And as Paul proclaims, I want I want to know him and experience him in ways that I just maybe have never experienced him before. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us into your house. Lord, we're thankful for this time and this series together, Lord. We thank you so much for your word and God, how it just connects with us, Lord. I just pray that every single one of us to just begin to question, what do we want most in our lives, Lord? And we proclaim, we pray, God, that it would be you today. We pray for those that have not put their faith and trust in Jesus, that today would be the day that they have got to see and experience all the fruitlessness that comes, all the imperishable crowd or the perishable crowns of this world, God, and they would understand and see that maybe there is hope in your name, that maybe there is life in your name. I pray for all those today, God, that have just been considering and thinking about what it could be to experience you fully and completely without the distractions, what life could be like if we push aside all that's holding us down, especially within our digital devices today. Lord, I pray that you just continue to lead us and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen.